Well, good morning, Lighthouse. Um, I'm glad that you have chosen to join us this morning. Uh, my name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm uh, joined by my friend Pete Shambrook, who's going to be leading us in worship this morning. Um, and I am so grateful that we get to worship our God together. From all, we are in different places. We're kind of scattered around our county. But today we are going to be joining together with countless other Christ followers around this world and lifting up um, our eyes back up to our God looking above our circumstances and fixing our eyes firmly on him. And so I just want to begin uh, with opening us in prayer, and then we're going to spend some time focusing or refocusing our heart back on the one who is really holding us in the palm of his hand. So if you go ahead and bow your heads with me, let's pray. Father God, I'm so grateful for this morning. I'm so grateful that the sun rose. I'm so grateful for the dew that has been watering the earth. And I'm so grateful that in the midst of all of the news and in the midst of the uncertainty, you are still God. Jesus, you're still on the throne. You're holding on to us. You haven't let go. Even when we take our eyes off of you and we fix our eyes on the storms around us, you are still there and you are still God. And so we choose to fix our eyes on you right now. May you be glorified through the words of our lip and the meditation of our heart right now. Jesus, we pray this in your holy name. Amen. All right, let's worship together. So Jesus, we declare freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety. Over each person that's present right now, we declare it over our, our culture. We declare it over our cities. We declare it over our towns. We declare it over each whom we pass in the day or each to whom we speak. Lord, we are dependent on you entirely. And so we stand in that dependence, that trust, that faith, and declare you as Lord over all. You are Lord over all our circumstances. And you are Lord over all the mayhem and chaos that's happening in our world right now. So we declare your peace, your favor, your lordship, your authority, and your kingdom over everything on this earth. For what is bound in heaven will be bound here on earth, and what is loosed in heaven will be loosed here on earth. We'll give you honor and glory pray in the threefold name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pete. Yeah, my pleasure. Good morning. Um, you know, it has been an interesting week and a half. It almost feels like the world we're living in today is a very different one than the one we woke up in a couple of weeks ago. And this morning as I was laying in bed, I, I was just trying to think back to a time in my life when I have experienced this sort of uh, shaking of the foundation, where I felt like something changed as rapidly as I did. And the only thing that came to mind uh, was when our second born uh, Grayson was born three months prematurely or almost three months prematurely. 
Because in that time, our entire life changed in a heartbeat. Uh, All of our rhythms were thrown out the door. We found ourselves really isolated from the world because we could go into the NICU, but we didn't really have anybody that could go with us. And in that time, it felt like all of our rhythms and all of our expectations and all of even, uh, it, it felt as if I was walking in a fog. Every single day was long. Oh my goodness, time slowed down. And yet every single day was a blur. And it's, that feels a lot like what we're living through right now, where every single day has slowed down. But you look back on it, it's a blur. And I think that's partially because we are in a little bit of a shock as a culture, as a society. What we anticipated life looking like and what it really is don't correspond. And there's, there's this dissonance going on inside of us. And the thing that I remember, the thing I remember most from Grayson's premature birth is this overwhelming sense of powerlessness. I had no ability to control what was happening to him, but nor could I ignore it. All I could do is wrap my arms around my wife and take each day as it came, keeping my eyes fixed on God and just praying, praying, praying. And yet in the midst of that, the other thing that I remember very, very vividly from that season was this sense of uh, there being really sweet bites of fruit along the way as we kind of journeyed through this valley that was shrouded in, in the valley or, you know, in the shadow of death. There was this really sweet moments. There were things like people um, reaching out to us, just reminding us that they were praying for us, even though we were really isolated. We knew that we were surrounded and we would even come home some days from a long day at the NICU and there'd be meals on our doorstep. And in the same way, even though this has been very disjointing, even though all of our rhythms and all of our ways of going about life, all of our expectations of what life would look like have been thrown off. um, I don't know about you, but I've certainly been experiencing some sweet fruit from this valley of the shadow of death as well. Things like more time with my kids, even getting to see their work ethic in the midst of doing online school. I've really enjoyed most of that time with them. (laughs) Um, Another thing that has been really sweet through this season is the way that the church in our city has united together. We always talk about the fact that there really only being one church. Jesus is the head of all of it. And we just may gather in different places, but that has never been more true than what we're currently experiencing in Costa Mesa right now. There are, we have been uniting around uh, meeting people's physical needs, their emotional needs, and their spiritual needs. I, I shared a little bit about what we were doing to meet physical needs last week, where we partnered with Trellis and Fresh Beginnings Ministries to say, hey, we want to just gather together food and deliver it to those who are most impacted by this, those who are shut in and need to get things like baby wipes for their child. And I want to thank you guys for your generosity and joining in, in that both in your giving so that we could help support the purchase of these things, but also you guys responded last week when I mentioned one of the moms in our church. I had several people before I even got home uh, from, from doing the message, I had several people who texted me saying, hey, I've got extra baby wipes, where can I give them? 
And so thank you for that. So we're meeting people's physical needs. And if you want to help out with that or you need help, all you need to do is go to lovecostamesa.org and you can find out more about that. The second thing that we're doing is we're meeting people's emotional needs. Right now, as, as we were talking, as we were worshiping, things are thrown off. And people are, I for one, am feeling like they're, I need perspective. And toward that end, on Monday, there were about 10 pastors that gathered together back when we could still gather in groups of 10 or less. There were 10 of us that gathered together and we ended up recording about seven minute long video messages that are just a perspective on this, a, a way of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and not losing sight of the bigger picture in the midst of our circumstances. And over the course of the next coming weeks, we're going to just be slowly releasing those on the lovecoastmesa.org website. And we'll also be post- posting them on social media. I encourage you guys to go there, to watch them, to share them with people within your sphere of influence, because it really is an expression of the church in Costa Mesa coming together. And then the final way that we're responding to this need as a unified church is in our sp- meeting spiritual needs through prayer. Because there is nothing more powerful than praying. And in fact, in a time when we feel powerless, like I did when Grayson was laying in that bed, covered in tubes, and I couldn't even pick him up because at that young a developmental stage, to even touch him, it would have been interpreted as pain. I felt totally powerless, and all I could do was pray for my son. And this morning, as, I, as he jumped up in my arms, I can barely pick the kid up anymore. There is tremendous hope that we're going to get through this. But in the midst of this storm, the best thing we can do is to pray. And toward that end, the church in Costa Mesa is uniting together to do 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week prayer chain that's going to span starting midnight tonight all the way until Easter Sunday. And we're looking for at least three people to sign up for every single hour in that prayer chain so that we can be lifting up our city, lifting up our nation, lifting up our world through this really unprecedented and tumultuous time. If you want to find out more about it, if you want to sign up for one or more of those prayer slots, I would encourage you to sign up for one a week at least. If you want to get the prayer guide that they've put together, and it's excellent. I encourage you to go to PrayCostaMesa.org and you can find out all about it. But this morning, in, in the midst of all of the change and all of the newness of this life that we find ourselves kind of journeying through right now, we just decided that we didn't want to change up everything and so we wanted just a little bit of normalcy. And so we decided not to switch up series, and we're going to continue journeying through Acts. And today, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 12. That's where we're going to be studying out of. But this is the beautiful part, I think, about God's sovereignty, is that we've been planning um, this series for a very, very long time. And as you noticed last week, the message, even the, the place that we found ourselves in Acts could not have been more relevant to our circumstances. As we were reading about the early church responding to another cataclysmic pandemic, this, that being a famine, and how they chose to respond to it with generosity as opposed to stinginess. Taking a, a, kind of an attitude of God is our provider as opposed to trying to grip hold of whatever you know, stuff that we have, whatever cans and, and toilet paper in our home. This week, in the same way, I really feel like this 
passage that we're going to be looking at speaks directly to the heart of where we find ourselves. So I'm going to begin reading in Acts chapter 12. And last week, we found the story being centered in Antioch, which is kind of up north, uh, up above the Judean area, up above Samaria. Now we find ourselves back in Judea, and we're gonna, it's going to begin with a guy named Herod. And Herod was the ruler appointed by Rome over the whole of Judea. It was his char- you know, he was basically the king. He had all the power. And Herod was a consummate politician. He had the ability to work every angle. He was doing things to try to cement his grip on power and his legacy. And so he underwent tremendous building programs. He built an entire city called Caesarea that we talked about a few weeks ago, this port town, and he named it after Caesar Augustus because, you know, that's how you continue to curry the favor of those who have power. But he also sought to curry the favor of those who he was leading, the Jewish people. And so he rebuilt the temple. And in fact, if you were to go to Jerusalem today and you were to go to what is known as the Western Wall, that wall is the retaining wall of the temple that Herod had rebuilt. And that's all that's really remaining of it. So Herod was a person who was trying to cement his grip on power and his legacy. And one of the ways he's going to do that is by persecuting the early church. And so we're going to read here in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. If my Jewish constituents don't like this small upstart group of people, if they want to shut them up, then I'm going to go ahead and help them. Because that's going to make sure that my grip on power is retained. Verse 2. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Now, James is not... Jesus's half-brother who wrote the book of James in our Bible. This James was one of Jesus's earliest disciples. He was the brother of John. They were known as the sons of thunder. He was the first apostle to be put to death because of his unwillingness to deny his faith. And when Herod saw that this met with approval amongst the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. He realizes, hey, if the people like this, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to grab another leader of the early church, Peter. I'm going to throw him in prison and I'm going to have him stand trial. And he's probably planning on putting him to death as well. And after the arrest, I'm sorry, uh, I'll go back. He had Peter arrested also. And this happened during the festival of unleadened bread. Unleadened? Unleavened. Holy moly, hello. You, doing, you guys awake out there? I'm still waking up. Verse four. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So there's 16 guards on this guy. Obviously, Herod has learned his lesson from Jesus raising from the dead and all of the commotion that, that kind of caused. He goes, that's not going to happen with anybody else. And so he makes sure that Peter is well guarded. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. And it's really ironic, by the way, that all of this is taking place over that Passover festival because the Passover is a time when the Jews were celebrating God's deliverance of them from bondage and slavery. And yet, they're, at the same time, they're celebrating the arrest and the potential death of one of, um, of Jesus' emissaries who was sent To declare another release from bondage. Another moment where where God is stepping in and saying, I'm going to deliver you from an even greater enemy 
than Egypt. I'm going to deliver you from an even greater enemy than Rome. I am going to deliver you from sin and death. And yet the Jews are celebrating his arrest. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him in a moment where they were powerless, where they couldn't spring him. All they could do was pray. And yet it was the most powerful thing that they could do. The night before Herod was to bring Peter to trial, he was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. So he is literally chained to a soldier on either side. And there were sentries standing guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. And the angel struck Peter on the side and he woke him up and he said, hey, quick, get up. And the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. And then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and your sandals. And so Peter complied. He got dressed. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. So Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing. Or he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. Peter thought he was seeing a vision. And they passed the first and the second group of guards, and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. So he's kind of come out of the prison. He's now entering into the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left Peter, and he's left alone in the middle of the street. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And when this had dawned on him, that he wasn't just, you know, dreaming, that it was reality, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who's also called Mark. We know him as John Mark. He's the guy who wrote the gospel of Mark. This is his mom's house. And there's a whole group of people that are in her house praying. Verse 13. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came and answered the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without even opening the door and she explained, Peter's at the door. But Peter kept on, oh, I'm sorry. Verse 15, the people said, you're out of your mind, they told her. But when she kept on insisting that it was so, they said, no, 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 it must be his guardian angel. It couldn't possibly be Peter. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were astonished. It's almost as if they didn't think that their prayers had any ability to change anything. More on that in a little bit. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. And he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell James, Jesus' half-brother, and the other brothers and sisters in the faith about this. And then he left for another place. This scene is comical. The next time you think that the Bible is kind of too highbrow, where there's, there's no ability to, to kind of smile and laugh at how the early church did things, the next time you think that the early church just did everything right, just remember, they were human. And I love the fact that Peter shows up. He's surprised that he's been released from prison. He's knocking on the door and the girl forgets to even open the door for him. She goes in and tells everybody and their first impulse is to deny that it could even be possible. Yes, they've been at home praying this whole time. They've been interceding on behalf of Peter and yet they can't even believe that he's alive. 
And meanwhile, Peter's outside in the street. He's an escaped convict. And he's knocking on the door like, um, hello, anybody? It's comical. But I think sometimes we lose sight of the power of prayer in the midst of our circumstances, almost feeling like it doesn't really affect much. So why even bother, right? And Pete and I will talk about that in a little bit. Let's keep going. Verse 18. In the morning, there was no small commotion amongst the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and could not find him, he cross-examined the guards, all 16 of them that were supposed to be watching him, and then he ordered them to be executed. Remember, Herod was a guy who was using this to kind of make his own brand even better. He was trying to use this to make people happy. But when Peter escapes, it's yet another black eye for him and he's embarrassed. And so to save face, he has that whole group of guards executed. And then he just decides to get the heck out of the city. He he goes to Caesarea, to his palace that he built there, just to let things blow over. Let's keep reading. Verse 20. When Herod was in Caesarea, he had been quarreling with some people of Tyre and Sidon. These are two city-states that are located on uh, the Mediterranean Sea that are north of Caesarea. They're they're in modern-day Lebanon. And these two city-states had been really affected because of Herod's policies. He basically cut them off from their flow of food and other things. And I think that we can understand today a little bit more how that might feel when you can't go to the store and buy things that you've just come to expect, like eggs and milk and toilet paper and things like that, there's a sense of powerlessness. And so because of that, the leaders of of Tyre and Sidon had sent a couple of delegates to come and basically kiss the signet ring of Herod in order to curry his favor. Verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod, who was wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne until he delivered a public address to all the people. And they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. I will confess, that seems a little bit far-fetched. Right? That because the people are praising him and he doesn't glorify God instead of glorifying himself, that God would strike him down and he'd be, he'd be eaten by worms. But this week I was actually doing a little bit of research and I came across a name that you might be familiar with, a guy named um, Flavius Josephus. He was a Roman historian and he actually corroborates exactly what Luke writes in the book of Acts. These are his words. He says, Herod was clothed in a silver robe that reflected the rays of the sun. The people did indeed shout praises to Herod. And the king did neither rebuke them nor reject their impious flattery. And Josephus goes on to explain that that very day, Herod was struck by violent abdominal cramps. And he died five days later. Now, Josephus doesn't say what exactly caused those abdominal pains. But another historian suggested it was most likely ringworms that had gotten into his stomach. So they were like, they were stomach or roundworms, I'm sorry. And so this would totally confirm Luke's suggestion that his body was consumed by worms. But regardless of how he died, this is what's evident. Herod, on the outside looked like a god. He was, he, he was radiant. 
and he held the reins of power in his hand. He seemed to be in complete control and he was radically trying to affect the early church. And yet his control was at an end. And I think of the enemy that we are currently facing right now. We call it COVID-19 or coronavirus. And it seems like it is in complete control. It has absolutely affected our lives. It's shut things down. It's caused us to not even be able to gather together. And yet its time is short. Its power over us, its ability to control our lives will come to an end sooner rather than later. And in the midst of this, I just want to close the reading time with one last verse. Because the early church was embattled on every side from Jews and the Jewish leaders, as well as from Herod. And this is what we read in verse 24. But the word of God continued to spread and to flourish. No matter how much the powers that be sought to keep it down, no matter how much the early church endured. In fact, in the midst of enduring persecution, in the midst of enduring trial, the gospel actually spread more. Almost like when you sow seeds onto a ground, seeds find better purchase, take deeper root, and are more prolific when you cast it on soil that has been uh, tilled as opposed to hard soil. And I really feel like that's what God is doing right now. He's tilling the soil of our society, waking people up from the lethargy of their comfort, where everything you need is, is just down the street or on Amazon, where you can literally get anything you need, and so you really don't need to turn to God for a whole lot. He's removing all of those American idols from us so that we will once again be, have our hearts turned back to him. And I believe in this time, he is tilling the soil of our society so that the seeds of hope that are only found in him will find purchase in people's hearts. And here's the amazing part is that we, the church, get to be the kind of people who scatter those seeds of hope as we have experienced hope, as we have tasted and seen that he is good, that he is faithful, and that he is capable of walking with us through these dark valleys that we find ourselves in. We get to be the kind of people who, whether by phone call or social media, or even as we are out walking the dog and we interact from about six feet away with our neighbors, We get to be the kind of people who sow seeds of hope. But I want to go back now to this idea of prayer and and grapple a little bit with why the early church was praying vehemently and yet at the same time were surprised when their prayers had any sort of impact. And normally when we would, you know, focus on this passage, the number one thing that we're going to focus on is the fact that Peter, who is fully anticipating being put to death, Peter is released from prison miraculously. It's a huge deal. So much so that the early church is surprised that it happens. But before we get there, and before we focus our eyes on the miracle God does, I, I, I want to just zero in on the something that comes before that. And that is the reminder that there was another apostle that was arrested, James. And he was put to death. And we need to remember that I'm sure the early church was praying just as vehemently for him. And yet God's answer was, no, I'm not going to rescue him from this. And it's it's an important 
reminder to us as we begin to have a conversation about prayer that God hears our prayers and God answers our prayers, but sometimes his answer is no. Because sometimes God's purposes are different from our own. So often we become enamored with and even dependent upon our comfort. That becomes our primary idol. And in a time like now, our comfort's been thrown out the window. That the kind of things that we hold on to, the little idols that we hold on to to give us comfort in the midst of the chaos, things like canned goods or toilet paper, even those have been limited so that we are forced to remember that he is God. He is above our circumstances and he alone is our security. Nothing else. Nothing. So I want to talk about prayer in the midst of our trials. But in order to do that, I want to invite my friend Pete to come on back up. And Pete and I go way back. He and I, um, actually, when I first started pastoral leadership about 15 years ago, Pete was a pastor at that church. He's somebody I have always looked up to, both literally and figuratively, somebody that I really appreciate. He's been a mentor in my life. Um, and after we both moved on from that other church. I came here to Lighthouse and he actually founded another church called Saltworks in Orange where he and his wife live. And then about a year ago, uh, you and your wife felt led to hand the leadership of that church off to somebody that you had mentored up so that you guys could go into kind of full-time prayer ministry. And so you're somebody who is uniquely in a unique position to be able to speak to us as we find ourselves in a place where really the only thing that we have to bring to this whole thing is, is our prayer. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm curious, Pete, I'd love to start with kind of defining our terms. When I say prayer, our, our tendency is to think of kind of a laundry list or our shopping list of things that we bring to God, almost like he is the Amazon fulfillment center or he is a cosmic vending machine and, and we need to pray the right words or, or, or maybe, you know, be good for a couple of days. That's the coin we put in and then he's obligated to give us what we're asking for. But I would love for you to maybe clarify for us when, when you hear the word prayer, what does that mean? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I think the thing that we forget often is uh, that when we talk about prayer, we can't, t- we can't talk about prayer without talking about the Holy Spirit. Mm. Uh, they are fully integrated. And uh, I think that we, we, we imagine God in this far-off place. You know? and, we, and even when we invite him, we invite him to come. Yeah. You know? But he's not coming from some far-off place. Mm-hmm. He's, he's already present. The Holy Spirit is in us, mm-hmm. the Scripture says, right? Mm-hmm. And with us. Yeah. And so... Um, uh, I think that there is a, uh, in one sense, uh, a fear, uh, maybe of, of dependence on the Holy Spirit hmm. um, from maybe some of the things we've seen or heard. Uh, but the bottom line is it is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. And prayer is what enables us to, uh, to partner with God mm-hmm. in His authority. Mm. And it's not just the things that we want, but where we actually get to declare things okay. over people. Uh, you know, if, if, uh, like in uh, uh, Matthew 28, when Jesus says, you know, uh, to go and do the things mm-hmm. that I've taught you to do, well, what did he teach us to do? He taught us to preach the gospel. Um, he taught us to raise the dead, <coughs> heal the sick, mm-hmm. uh, to cast out demons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just go, wait, 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 you can't what? can't do that. There's What's no that? way. Yeah. What's up with that? Um, <clears throat> so there's this authority piece 
that we uh, that we need to learn to walk in, hmm. and it has everything to do with with identity. Okay. Um, so explain. We'll, go a little bit deeper on what you mean by that. Oh, I'd love to. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think that uh, many of us. Uh, so let me just say this as well that. Uh, I say this because my wife and I were in a... Uh, this This was birthed out of a dark place for us. So this wasn't us just kind of waking up to it one day. It was birthed out of a dark place. And uh, uh, we had to uh, confront things in ourselves uh, that were really difficult to confront. Mm. Uh, for instance, I'm, I'm pastoring a church, right? And we've got things happening you know, uh, around us uh, even in our family. And we had to stop and ask the question and be brutally honest. Mm-hmm. One of those questions was, does prayer really work? Yeah. I mean, here I am a pastor in a church and I'm asking the question, does prayer really work? The same people are coming forward for prayer every weekend uh, for the same thing. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And so we're asking the question, like, why aren't they being healed? Why isn't stuff like whether it's whether it's uh, psychological, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical? Why aren't we seeing the things that the scriptures talk about? Mm-hmm. And so we were we were confronted with this, mm-hmm. and so we were just I think intellectually honest, uh, as well as um, anything else. And so um, <clears throat> honesty is always a good place to start. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. a good place to be to be authentic. Uh, and we found ourselves yeah just. Uh, um, uh, longing for more of God and okay. more of His Spirit and uh, uh, more of His, just wanting to see Him uh, do what He was, was doing in the in the Scriptures. Okay. So uh, that began our journey. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so when we talk about prayer and prayer with regards to the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and identity, yeah. uh, the identity issue is a big one because I think that many of us um, are operating from still from slavery mm-hmm. and. Uh, what I mean by that is that if if it's true, if the scriptures are true, mm-hmm. that uh, we've been set free from slavery and then we're now brought into sonship and daughtership, mm-hmm. uh, if it's true, the scriptures are true in stating that uh, we are new creations, put off the old, put on the new. If scriptures are true in saying that we are seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, mm-hmm then uh, if it's true that the scriptures say that, that uh, uh, we are no, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, if that's true, and I know you wrote a book on identity, right? Mm-hmm. Right, we'll plug there, mate. Um, so if all those things are true, then, uh, then we need to walk in the authority mm-hmm. that he's given us. Okay. And we need to trust that in his name, right, all mm-hmm. things can be done and will be done. In his name, in his name, the most important caveat, because it's his power, right. not ours, right. but he lends it to us as his children. It's almost right. like he gives us the credit card and says, you're doing it in my name. Right. Yeah. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Mm-hmm. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Right. Yeah. So when we when we walk through this earth mm-hmm. in whatever space we happen to be in, we carry his sonship and his daughtership, we carry his authority to command things. Yeah. But what we, what we tend to do in the church mm-hmm. is uh, we tend to continue to walk as slaves. Mm-hmm. Slaves don't know what their, father, what their father's thinking, what their master's thinking, is what the scriptures tell us, mm-hmm. right? 
uh, <clears throat> they don't get the inheritance. But as sons and daughters, we walk in the authority, in the knowledge of what the Father's doing, mm-hmm. and his inheritance. And it's been given to us, but we haven't taken it on. Mm-hmm. We haven't put off the old and put on the new. Yeah. All right? So there's a piece here that we have to understand and engage with the fact that uh, we, we need to begin to walk in that authority as true sons and true daughters. Yeah. So that's what I mean by, by identity. It's helpful. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I think that we not only lose sight oftentimes of who we are, but we lose sight of who he is. Right. Uh, sure. I just even think of the way that when Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray, the first thing he, he tells them to do is to kind of put who God is and who we are back into perspective. Right. You know, our Father who is in heaven, yeah. hallowed is your name. This idea that the creator and sustainer of everything, who is wholly set apart. So he's God, we're not, but he's also intimately connected and he is our father and that's the foundation from which our prayers kind of come right right that's excellent um so i mean let's talk a little bit about how why is it so important for us to be a people of prayer even when sometimes the answer is no yeah that's that's probably the big question huh Mm -hmm. i mean uh, i think uh i mean everybody that's watching this right now we've all experienced the no Mm -hmm. every single one of us yeah but I think, um, in in a sense, Eric, um, I, th- I believe that it's a continued practice of identity. Uh, like, even the scriptures that you brought up today with in Acts, um, like Peter showing up at the door. Like, what would have happened if he showed up at the door and they would have gone, "Hey, we were expecting you." Totally. You know. Yeah. Peter would probably probably gone, "Oh, you were, <laughs> right." But really, based on their prayers, they should have been expecting him mm-hmm. to show up. Um, so I think that it's a practicing mm-hmm. of expectancy okay. uh, of who God is. Mm-hmm. I think it's a practicing of our, our true identity, mm-hmm. even when there's no's. Mm-hmm. I think that we, we should never back away from the theology that we have sitting in front of us in the scriptures that declare us as sons and daughters. Yeah. Uh, we should never back away from that, whether we hear a no or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when I'm praying for someone uh, and uh, like I pray expecting what I'm praying to be done. Yeah. It's in the Father's hands mm-hmm. as to whether, you know, that comes about. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to back away from what I believe and what I see in Scripture. Yeah. And I think a lot of us do. I think a lot of us pray out of, um, disa- from, a, from a, 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 a posture of disappointment, mm. not from a posture of sonship and daughtership. A posture of, I'm just going to hedge my bets. And this is kind of like just a Hail yep. Mary I'm going to throw up, but I'm really yeah. not expecting anything right. to come of it. Yeah. So I'm going to work on the side. I'm going to do everything I can to kind of bring about the end I want, but I'm going to throw one out to God too. Yeah. So, so, we say, so we say things like, well, you know, well, Lord, gosh, if it's your will, then um, would you please like heal this person? Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, <clears throat> I think that God wants us to, to be more than that and to step into more than that. And uh, I think he wants us to step into um, acting like sons and daughters um, with, with his name as the authority over all of it uh, and not backing away from uh, the disappointments that we've had. And we've all had disappointments. Yeah. We've all had, some, many, most of us have had big disappointments. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, so to answer your question, it's a, I believe it's a practicing of sonship and daughtership uh, is, 
it's a posture that we need to take um, even when we hear the no. Yeah. You know, I, I think that Jesus being our big brother, being our Lord, being the one that we are trying to become more like is really helpful in modeling this for us. I even just think of Gethsemane that ni- on the night that he was going to be arrested and how, mm. because, because I hear you, this sense of we don't want to be wilting flowers that just go, oh, you know, and, and constantly explaining away the fact that we don't expect that God can move or that our prayer will make any difference. I absolutely hear that. But what I love about Jesus is he came authentically. He was raw. He was real. He requested, God, if there's any way we can do this a different way, let's do it that way. But he still postured it in a submission to the Father because at the end of the day, he recognized he is the Father. I am his Son. So I want to bring about his will as opposed to simply bringing my will out. And there is an element for me where I recognize that the kind of prayers that I pray when I'm just let my, my flesh kind of lead are prayers for comfort, prayers for safety, prayers for, you know, I've got 12 rolls of toilet paper, but God, I want another dozen so that I don't really have to worry at all. I mean, it, it, these are the kind That's of prayers. Relevant. I mean, these are the kind of <laughs> prayers that we're praying, right? God, I want progresso soup. I'm tired of having to get, you know, the generic version or, or, or cream of mushroom soup. I mean, those are the only, those are the kind of prayers that we're praying right now as opposed to recognizing our Father's ways are above our ways. And sometimes what we're praying for may actually come into conflict with what he wants to do. And, and when I think of prayer, a lot of times I think of it as a submission of coming alongside and, and submitting myself to him so that the things I'm praying for are right in line with what he wants. And I love the fact that we have a father who cares enough that he does listen to us and does love us and does include us in bringing about his will in this world. But well, at the end he, of the day, he's still God. Yeah, he's a, but he's a good God. He is. You know, I love, I've heard one pastor say, you know, God's in a good mood. He's in a good mood. <laughs> you know? But we don't often think of him mm. like that. Like, but, and, and, he, and often we know what God's will is. Like, and that, that sounds, you know, kind of, wait, wait, what? Right. But often we know what God's will right. is. And, uh, um, but it's whether it happens or not. I love what Dallas Willard talks about. Um, he, he says, you know, heaven is a place. You know, when he talks about the, the, uh, the, the, the disciples' prayer that Jesus taught them. And she says, heaven is a place where God's will is perfectly done. Mm-hmm. Uh, here on earth, it's not. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. But as those who walk in his kingdom and in his authority, what we are uh, inviting when we walk in that authority in Jesus' name is for the things to be bound in heaven to be bound on earth mm-hmm. and the things that are loosed in heaven to be loosed on earth. But this is not a perfect place right. yet. And, uh, and we're going to get imp- imperfections and we're going to get no's yeah. as well. Uh, and that's, a spiritual, that's part of the spiritual realm mm-hmm. uh, that Satan continues to fight his losing battle. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, I, 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 he, can, he can get me pretty angry sometimes, yeah. you know, yeah. with, uh, with the way he goes about things. So, yeah. So what would you say uh, to people who are in the midst of trial right now that are under it, that are waking up every morning with, I wonder what the headlines are going to be. I wonder how many more people are infected. I wonder how much longer this is going to last. You know, what would, what would you say to us um, in regards to how we might approach our father and pray in this time? Hmm. Um. I, I posted something this week on our on our Instagram at Cedar House, I see. And, uh, uh, and I don't mean to be cheesy, but 
but it just made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, exercise uh, faith. Exorcise fear. Hmm. Um, like that's it's as simple as that. Like we have to practice faith, mm-hmm. and we have to get rid of uh, the fear and anxiety. And and there's there's fear and anxiety that existed before this, right? Yeah. This is magnifying it for people. Yeah. Um, this is a time right now to uh, to get with Jesus and uh, invite Him. Invite the Holy Spirit to touch your inner being, mm-hmm. <laughs> those places in you that are darkened by anxiety and fear, and invite Him to bring healing to those places. Because mm-hmm. uh, only He can really do the deep healing. Yeah. And so I think part of that is, is prayerfully doing that. And as I said, we, we said earlier on, prayer is simply partnering with mm-hmm. the Spirit of God yeah. in authority and in, in His kingdom. Yeah. Um, and so I think we need to look at it like that uh, and, uh, and begin partnering as sons and daughters. So I think, I think maybe even a practical piece too, Eric, is, is just being honest. Like I was saying earlier on, like just do a ruthless inventory of yourself. Yeah. And that, that's difficult. Mm-hmm. That can be really difficult. But if you do that, um, acknowledge what's there, whether it's... Um, Gosh, I'm walking as a, I'm, I'm in slavery to this mm-hmm. thing, to this COVID nineteen thing, and I'm I'm just I'm, you know I'm in, I'm in I'm in bondage to fear and to and to anxiety and to all the other things that are going with yeah. it. Uh, Lord Jesus, like, would you? Will you? I'm just mm-hmm. speaking, and well, actually, speak it over yourself with authority, yeah. uh, and just say, I rebuke it right mm-hmm. now in Jesus' name. As Jesus rebuke things, yeah, rebuke it as the things come in. We have to take a stand against them. Yeah. But it's not enough just to take a stand against them and just rebuke the fear, rebuke the anxiety. You have to replace it mm-hmm. as well. So declare truths over yourself, the truths of Scripture. Uh, I'm a son or I'm a daughter um, of, a, of the living God. Mm-hmm. I've been made new in Christ. I'm now a new creation. I put off, put, put off, put off the old, put on the new. You know, I'm, I'm seated in Christ in the heavenly realms. Like you have to replace those things, so it's not enough just to rebuke them. So it's it's important for us to remind ourselves of the reality of of our identity and of who He is, and um, it all, it almost feels like when we're praying, what we're doing is we're taking our eyes off, from focusing on our circumstances and the stuff that feels pretty stinking overwhelming right mm-hmm. now, and lifting it back up to the One who stands above it, um, and 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 not ignoring the fact that our circumstances are there but just trusting in the one that's leading us through kind of like Peter, when he steps out on the water and the storm is there, whether he has his eyes on it or not, but he's got his eyes fixed on Jesus. And so he's coming to him and just going, I want to join you in the midst of this storm. And I want to, I want to bring and almost unload all of my fears and my discouragement and, and the things I'm beginning to believe about myself that feel like condemnation. Something you said probably a decade ago that has stuck with me is that the Holy Spirit convicts, but the enemy condemns. And so when we begin to hear words of condemnation about ourselves, recognizing, no, that's from the enemy. And I resist you in Jesus's name. I love the authority that we have as children to be able to do that. And we all do it. Yeah. We all have those, those those voices, you know, otherwise coming from the evil one or it's coming from us. And Mm -hmm. most of the time I think it comes from us and he just gets to stick his toe into it. You know, and, and uh, kind of 
Just, yeah. you know, Stirs it dig up. it in, stir yeah. it up. But I remember my wife uh, saying to me one time when we were going through our, that, that darkness that, that, um, that kind of birthed this, uh, this passion for, uh, for prayer and the mm-hmm. Spirit. Um, I remember her saying one time, she goes, gosh, honey, like, I feel like I've, I've been fixing my eyes on the, the problems around us. Mm-hmm. And I think we can do that even as we pray. And mm-hmm. that's not a bad thing. But, but you don't want to get stuck there. Mm-hmm. Um, she goes, I, f- I feel like uh, I need to take my eyes off of those things and just fix them on, yeah. on Jesus. And she said the moment that she did that, everything shifted. Mm-hmm. Everything changed. And the circumstances just became circumstances. And yes, they had effect, mm-hmm. for sure. Absolutely. But the effect um, wasn't lasting. And I think that's the piece, too, we need to hold on to is that... Um, there are seasons in our lives that feel really long sometimes and we feel like it's, it, it's just the stuff's just com- coming at us and it lasts a long time. And I've been through long seasons of that. I'm sure you have. I'm sure most people have. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, but part of the journey with Jesus is, is learning to walk as sons and daughters during that time mm-hmm. and not give in and give way to the fear and the anxiety yeah. and the circumstances themselves. Uh, and again, I know those circumstances can be really difficult, and some of them can be devastating. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd, I'm not putting that down at all. Um, but that's where we learn to walk and have others around us that can can hold us up uh, in prayer and to teach us to walk again, um, even through the most devastating times. Mm-hmm. I love that, Pete. Thank you. Um, and I, I think that as we've been talking about prayer, it might be good as we go into a response time to to even just practice praying. Mm. Um, and this is a unique opportunity in that you're meeting uh, in your living rooms or on your phone or in a computer. And so what we're going to invite you to do right now is we're going to take the next four or five minutes to just pray together separately. Um, and I want to invite you to bow your heads and recognize that the Father is there with you right now. And when he looks at you, He's not focused on your mistakes. He's not focused on your imperfections. He's not focused on what you're wearing or how your breath smells or how your hair looks. He sees his child whom he loves. And just being with you brings him great joy. And so you can come to him just as you are and bring your prayers and your petitions with thanksgiving to the Father. He hears you. And so let's just spend some moments having a conversation with our Father, lifting up our families, lifting up our neighbors, maybe lifting up our our nation and our world. Spend some time praying. I feel like a good place to end uh, this morning is with some words that Paul wrote while he was sitting in prison awaiting a trial that would ultimately end um, potentially in his execution. And in the midst of that, this is what he wrote. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and by petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, our Father. And the peace of God which transcends our circumstances, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he continues on 
with this word of we are his children. He continues on, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right and pure, whatever is lovely and admirable. Think about those things. I'm grateful that we have a father in heaven. He's not distant. He's not absentee. It's not like any of what's going on right now is taking him by surprise. And he's right in the midst of it. In fact, I believe that he is working through this to prepare this world for uh, a spiritual harvest, the likes of which we've never seen before. I remember what the, 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 the world in America, at least, was like after 9-11, and that spiritual awakening that took place. And I just, I see a similar spiritual awakening. And I'm grateful that we get to be a part of that, of sowing seeds of hope. Um, and so I want to encourage you this week to, to not stop praying. I want, Pete, thank you for being here, by the way. I love having you here. I love getting to worship with you. Um, and I know that you are praying regularly and interceding on behalf of people. And how can people kind of find you? Uh, yeah, you can go on to uh, Cedar House OC. So that in, in, in American, yeah, that would American. be Cedar House Cedar OC. House. Yeah. Cedar House. Cedar, Cedar House. Uh, and you can also find us on Instagram at uh, Cedar House OC. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And then I want to invite slash exhort you to join your brothers and sisters around Costa Mesa and really beyond uh, who are going to be linking arms metaphorically in prayer this coming next three weeks. I encourage you to go to Pray Costa Mesa. Org, and I want you to, to sign up for at least one hour a week. There's about 1,450 hours of prayer that we are going to be signing up for. And it's not just our little church doing it. It is the church, our brothers and sisters around the county. So please go there, praycostamesa.org, and join us in praying. And I want to thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Love you very much. Know that we, Pastor Jeff, myself, and everybody else are praying for you. Have a wonderful day.